forever. Dog. Just between us. Hey. Just between us. Hey. Hello, I'm Allison Raskin. I'm a writer, director, and amateur cartoonist. I'm Gabby Dunn. I'm a writer, bicon, bisexual icon, wink, and fiery redhead. Yes, you are. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, okay, wait. So you, um, you're drawing your own little stick figures. <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay. What a patronizing response. No, no, no. I just mean, I just mean that like the message is so strong. <laughs> that you you were like I don't need professional artists I need my own brain and my own message and my own style yeah and I I don't know it's fun and I and I feel like I um have like a clear stick figure of me and like I'm trying mm-hmm. to make it so it like is a clear uh like you'd see it and be like oh I know what account that goes to um, art but therapy art therapy building a brand <laughs> yeah As long as it's like you're able to process what's going on for you, which is your breakup, and also like that you're able to convey what's going on in your head. I always find it fun when us as creatives can translate things into other mediums. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you could write a script, you could do this, you could do that. But like, you can also draw it. You can also put it into a song, maybe if you want to. You could also um, like to be able to gather the same feelings and use it in different art methods and modes, I think is like um, a skill that not a lot of artists have. And I feel that you and I have that. Both of us have that. <laughs> My what? One... It's true. Is it weird that I have been refusing to refer to it as a breakup and instead refer to it as an abandonment? No, 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 no. I know you've been calling it um, being left because breakup implies something more mutual. Yeah. Is that? I don't know if that's like so stupid, but to me, it just like, I don't know. It feels like I'm I'm portraying the wrong situation to say it doesn't it feels like an abandonment. It doesn't feel like a breakup. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hear that because breakup. It's hard because I think people are so hung up on like who dumped who sort mm-hmm. of as like a thing. Um, and I, I try to, to be give clear. This... I was dumped. I was left. Yeah. 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 Well, <laughs> abandonment implies clear. that, I think. <laughs> I think it is interesting that like uh, some people feel shame about that and like Mm -hmm. that they will say that it was mutual. I mean, I think if you're the person that did the dumping, then it is a classy move to say that it was mutual. But if you were the person who was left, I mean, I think that like it's helpful to like own that because so many people are left all the time Mm -hmm. and if if everyone is just going around saying oh it was mutual then you're going well what the fuck happened to me (laughs) right yeah yeah well I think you have a a ability that I'm sure our listeners will will agree with me to be very honest about the truth of a situation like you don't sugarcoat stuff like you're not you're not a person who will be like, you know, yeah, it was mutual. Or you're, you're not a person who tries to like save face a lot. You no. kind of are very much like, this is what's happening, whether that's like embarrassing, shameful, whatever, which I think is helpful to our listeners. And a again, like our artistry, uh, a very uh, rare ability or quality. <laughs> so it's interesting because part of me being honest 
used to include a lot of self-deprecation mm-hmm. and like jokes at my own expense. And I stopped doing that a while ago, but then I found myself with this. It's so easy to sort of like fall into that. Mm-hmm. And I like tweeted out something about like starting to make TikTok videos again. And by videos, I mean one video of my dad dancing. But like <laughs> the tweet was like, you know, after being like left by my fiance and now living with my parents, it felt like a good time to take to take up TikTok. And it's not even that self-deprecating, but for whatever reason, after having that tweet up for like 30 minutes, I just felt yucky about it. I felt like I don't want to portray myself as somebody who's like, well, I'm a piece of shit now. You right, know, like right, right. I was left. I was abandoned. Like this person doesn't, you know, but like I still value myself. And yeah, so, and you still like, that's not the only thing going on for you. Like to portray it as like, now I'm a mess. Who's a loser is like, not true because we have, you know, this show, we have the Sundance show that just came out. Go look at our Instagrams. If you want to know more about that. Uh, <laughs> you still are writing a book. Like you're like, it's not like this thing where like suddenly, oh my God, this person left and your life is meaningless. Right. And I just, I I'm over making jokes at my own expense. Um, Truly. Because I, you know, because I see a lot of, of joking like that mm-hmm. and, and like, it, it can be funny, but it also to me feels like it comes from a place of, of hurt mm-hmm. and like potentially self-judgment. Mm-hmm. And I'm like working really hard not to judge myself for what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting. It's like a fine line. Anyway, this is just between us, a variety <laughs> show filled with heartfelt advice, ridiculous games and brutal, brutal honesty. honesty. <laughs> I think that is good. I also think it would it's an example to our listeners and the people who follow you that when you are broken up with, that doesn't mean that everything else going on in your life or everything else about you is suddenly invalid and stupid and shitty. And like now every joke has to be like, I'm the worst. I'm trying to be authentic about it, but also positive about it in a way mm-hmm. where like, it's helping me to process it in a way where I feel like it can help other people. Mm-hmm. So it's like almost like by wanting to portray a healthy way of dealing with this, it's forcing me to do it in a healthy of way. Of course. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it's actually been like super beneficial to me versus I think if I just like kept it all to myself and mm-hmm. I didn't feel any reason to not shit on myself. Yes, I think that makes sense. Yeah. If if you're the boss, you want to like behave well and set the right standards because you're right. the boss. Do you know what right, I mean? Right, right, so like, right. because I talk about relationships and because I talk about mental health, like I want to put my money where my mouth is after spooing all this shit for years, then like actually like not do my coping skills, treat myself badly. Like, you know, mm-hmm. like I, I kind of like owe it to myself and to people who've been following me to like actually incorporate all the skills that I've been talking about. Um, We have a great episode for you guys. This week, we are asking Alice Wong some tough questions about disability rights activism. And later, we'll be discussing compliments, the good, the lovely, and the problematic. Ooh. Did you like that little descriptor? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I love a good colon and. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) But first, hit it. International question! International question! International question! Theo, Brazil. The TLDR, can we acknowledge that therapy can be harmful? 
Hi, Allison and Gabby. I'm beyond grateful for all that you've taught me regarding mental health and sexuality. When talking to friends, I often refer to you as my parasocial older siblings. Also, as a non-binary person, I feel very affirmed by Gabby sharing their gender journey in the last episode I have listened to it three times now. Anyways, psychology and medicine are haunted by eugenics. My ex-girlfriend was institutionalized against her will twice, and medical health professionals aren't a current option for her to work through her trauma since they're embodiment of who traumatized her, and she's rightfully afraid of getting institutionalized again. Her being trans and autistic make it so people pathologize her very existence all the time. A therapist I had gaslighted me into believing a person who raped me didn't in fact do it and that my anxiety around them was actually because I was in love with them. Oh my God. A psychiatrist threatened to institutionalize me three months ago. My current therapist is an anarchist trans woman, thank God. But when I talk about her, my friends can't relate to my good experience and often can't find a therapist that sees them and shares their values. Mm -hmm. I went to university for psychology for three semesters and dropped out when the pandemic hit. I would clap back at my teachers when they affirmed deterministic, misogynist, and transphobic things when I had the energy, but I sometimes had to leave the classroom to sob in the bathroom. I had a personality theory class, and my teacher talked about how risky adoption was because the biological parents might be criminals and the baby could be genetically predisposed. Oh, my God. Ah! It was horrifying. Although therapy and meds have helped me so much, I have been misdiagnosed, put on meds that make me manic, and neglected by my psychiatrist, even though I told her I attempted suicide while manic. I think we should add more nuance and critical thought when thinking about this science that is so recent and still very much fucked up. I appreciate this email so much. So much. I want to talk about this. Being institutionalized is so much more complicated than we make it. I've been reading a lot of stuff about bipolar disorder recently, um, you know, for fun. And um, because I have bipolar disorder, if you're a first time listener and a lot of this stuff is like, if something's going wrong, call 911 or go to the ER or whatever. Um, and the problem is, is that that is very dangerous for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, calling 911 for mental health emergencies. We've seen tons of stories in the news about how that often ends in death for the person, especially if they are a person of color, specifically black. And also um, being institutionalized is very scary. A friend of mine was institutionalized, wrote about it. And in a lot of places... It is very scary because you're not treated well. Sometimes the the clinicians are very cold. Um, It can be very helpful in terms of routine and regulation and getting you started on meds, but there's also real world consequences. For instance, um, when I went to apply for TSA pre-check, they ask you, have you ever been institutionalized? And there's certain insurance things that happen and there's, it kind of takes away little elements of life. Again, TSA project is the smallest one, but that's just one that I experienced and saw. Um, and like, I think there's a lot of stigma attached to having been institutionalized. It's just, it's not a perfect system. And I also don't want to say this to discourage people, but you know, a lot of times with suicidal ideation, they'll say, call a hotline. As someone who has been suicidal a few times, I have called hotlines. I have reached out right to like, specifically suicide hotlines, right? And I think people say that without really knowing what it is to call a suicide hotline. And on the two occasions that I have done so, it has not been helpful. Mm. The person was said a lot of platitudes. They didn't really say anything that helped. Um, There wasn't, it wasn't, and maybe I just had too high of expectations, Um, it wasn't as helpful as I thought it would be. And I had posted that on Instagram and some people had said, 
it really depends on who you get. It's like a right. real luck of the draw situation. Um, so I think there's these flippant things that we say re with regards to mental health, such as call 911, such as go to the ER, such as call a suicide hotline, that it, when put in practice are less than perfect. Well, I think it's a case of who you get for therapy and psychiatry as well. Um, you know, now that I'm in a clinical psychology program, nobody knows anything. Right. <laughs> I mean, well, like, everyone's it's, human, it's, but I like, mean, it's not even that human. it's, it's literally like they do not understand how the brain works. There is some understanding, but it is still really not understood. It is really not understood the extent that things are genetic versus being environmental. Uh, it is such a guessing game. It's even a guessing game when it gets down to, I mean, we think of these disorders as set in stone, but in reality, when the DSM gets updated and like it's a new edition, a lot of times the, the, the criteria for these disorders changes. <laughs> so right. like, or it'll be renamed or it'll be lumped into a different type of disorder, you know? Right. So there is this sense of like black and whiteness, but it doesn't, it's not true. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why I think people get misdiagnosed so often um, yeah. because it's really just this individual's judgment call. Mm -hmm. And so I think a really big issue is it's like, who the fuck are you going to get? You know? Mm -hmm. And so we have this idea that a mental health professional is an expert and that mm -hmm. they know more than you and that no matter what, they have better insight than you. And that's just not true in the same way that like, if you go to like certain accountants are going to fuck up, <laughs> like, mm -hmm. you know, like, right. but the, it just sucks because the stakes are so much higher and mm -hmm. you're putting so much more trust into this person. Mm -hmm. um, but they, there are a lot of really bad therapists mm -hmm. and it is really possible for therapy to be harmful. And mm -hmm. so what I think is really important is educating people about what good therapy looks like. Yes. Because if you don't know what it should look like and feel like, then you might think, oh, well, I've heard therapy is uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. I've heard people don't like it, but they should still go. I've heard mm -hmm. that medicines have side effects. So mm -hmm. I'll just deal with these side effects. You know, like there really needs to be more education about like what is acceptable and what's not acceptable. Mm -hmm. And I would say that the first thing that needs to happen is that you need to feel respected. Mm-hmm. And if you don't feel respected by the person that is that is there to help you and be that even just your psychiatrist, where even right now it's tough with psychiatrists, right? Because you don't see them as often. Mm -hmm. They're not, you know, like you have like maybe one long sit down with them. And then after that, it's just like kind of a check in every few months. But it's really important to feel like that person is listening to you mm -hmm. and is hearing you. Mm -hmm. And then there's the whole other issue of in being institutionalized. And right. you're going to have a lot less control about who's dealing with you and who's right. helping you. And, you know, and so again, it's uh, like kind of like, how do we do the work so that less people get to that point and then have to be into institutionalized, you know? Right. But honestly, I need to learn a lot more about what goes on in inpatient facilities mm -hmm. um, because like we've touched on it, but I, I really don't know enough. And I, you know, I also think that a big issue is how, um, white and Eurocentric mm -hmm. therapy is and mm -hmm. meeting a lot more diverse professionals. It is not like, oh my God, go to therapy and it will change your life 100% because it's a gamble in terms of who you get 
even if you have a good therapist, their their techniques just might not be what you need. <laughs> yeah. Or I mean, they're human. Like they're also having days, having good days, having bad days. Like, um, you know, well, my I partner. Don't, I don't agree with that. I, what I do you think mean? That, like, I don't think that your personal life as a therapist should interfere with how you are with your clients. Oh, no, I mean, I don't think so. But I mean, some I don't know, people are people. What if the, your therapist gets broken? up? I don't know. Therapists are humans. If I was, if I, but if I was, if and maybe I'm saying this not having to had to do it. If I if I had had a patient the day after Jake left me, I don't think my patient would know that. Wow. Do you know what I mean? No, 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 not to tell them, not to tell them. But like I, I would do everything in my power for them not to know that that was going on with me because that's wow. not why they're there. Wow. Right? Like, yeah. you know, like it's that whole thing of like Katy Perry hysterically crying and then being <laughs> brought up to the stage and the fucking fans don't know she was hysterically crying. Like it's your job. You got to do your job. Absolutely. God, we reference that so often. If you've not seen the <laughs> Katy Perry documentary, uh, you're going to need to for context on this podcast. I've never even seen it. I've just heard about it. <laughs> really? Yeah. You got to watch it. It's wild. You're right. You're right. I think that's the job of the, of the therapist, but I also, and, and so my partner was breaking up with their therapist and switching therapists. And they didn't realize that their current therapist was doing something incorrectly until they posted about it on TikTok. So Mal posted on TikTok, this is what my therapist's been doing. Is that right? And the response was like, no. What and were they doing? Not letting Mal break up with them. Right. Uh, and like making Mal, making it so like, well, I think we should process you leaving me uh, until we feel good about it. And then we can not see each other anymore. And Mal was like, no, no, like I, this isn't a breakup. Right. And so through that, we kind of realized that Mal's therapist was uh, maybe projecting boyfriend energy onto Mal. Yeah. And like that, the thing is, is that it's it, not is okay. a re- it is a relationship. Yeah. But it's a relationship to service the client. Exactly. Which so, is what you told me when I asked you if, yeah. if this was the right thing. Yeah. So a good therapist, if the client says, I don't feel connected to you, I don't feel like you understand me. I think that our cultures are too different. A good therapist would say, I totally understand that. Thank Mm -hmm. you for telling me. Let me see if I can find any referrals for you Mm -hmm. for somebody who would maybe fit up, be a better fit. Like Mm -hmm. a therapist should never take something personally. (laughs) So if you're seeing that in your therapist, that's not good. And yeah, and it's hard, right? Because it's like, well, what are my options? Like, it's not like, oh, I have endless money and time Mm -hmm. to just like be searching for therapists. But that's why I think that like, the fact that we're on in the age of like so much help online is really good, you know, like yeah. that you can sort of do your own psychoeducation that you can maybe, uh, I've talked about before, potentially join a group therapy session. Mm-hmm. So then, cause in group therapy, the, the therapist is important, but they're not the be all and end all, mm-hmm. you know, like they're not going to be as active a participant as it mm-hmm. is with one-on-one therapy. So it's really shaped by the other members of the group a lot more. Um, but yeah, it is an incredibly flawed system. And I think it is really important for us to talk about that and acknowledge that because again, it's that thing of like, if nobody's talking about it and then you have a horrible experience, you're going to be like, well, I guess I'm bad at therapy. Yeah. If you look, (laughs) trust your instincts. If you, if it doesn't feel good or right to you, then Mm -hmm. it, it isn't good or right. It's not, oh, you need to change and break down barriers or whatever. I think people have a good read on like, what is necessary in therapy and what like to me feels like it would help me versus 
this makes me feel icky and I don't like it. It's tough because it is going to make you feel icky. You know, like you're not, you're not just going there for them to be like, you're doing everything right. So it can be hard to determine, am I feeling discomfort because this is not a helpful therapist or am I feeling discomfort because I'm having to actually sit in my discomfort for the first time and do things that make me feel uncomfortable and and talk about things I don't want to talk about. Therapists have so much power (laughs) over your mind. That's why I really think that people should know that they should feel comfortable telling their therapist how they feel about therapy. Mm -hmm. You know, like Mm -hmm. you should feel comfortable saying, for whatever reason, this feels like it is not helping me. Why Mm -hmm. do you think we should keep doing this? Mm -hmm. You know, like you can ask that question. Confrontation is really hard for people. Totally. Not for me or for you, but uh, I've heard for other people. It is very hard for me. I don't like to do it. (laughs) But we end up doing it. It's very interesting because I think Mal and Drew, who I live with, are... less so like it took me being like this is not okay you have to say you know like I think people feel like therapists are authority figures Mm -hmm. and you can't like question an authority figure but you you can can. yeah Mm -hmm. and and again I think it's it's also remembering that that one does not represent the many Mm -hmm. so like even if you have a couple bad experiences I really urge you to hopefully keep looking, look for a more specified person. So especially like you've said many times, if you're queer, looking for someone who who has a lot of queer clients is potentially even openly queer themselves, like making sure that you're, you can find a safe space for yourself. But it, it is, it's, and it's a very flawed system. It's also, you know, I've had so many friends, they're trying to find therapists and everyone is booked. And there's yep. wait lists and they can't get in. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, like, it's not like, oh, there's just an abundance of wonderful therapists right. and you just get to pick your favorite. So part of it is is also like we got to figure out how to make it more affordable so that people mm-hmm. can see all these private practice therapists who don't take insurance. Like there has to be systematic change to this profession. Yeah. It's just going to take take a bit. But I think that like having these conversations and acknowledging that both as a client as, and as mental health professionals is really important. It's really scary, especially because, you know, when this person talked about a therapist, a psychiatrist threatening to institutionalize them, it's hard because you want to tell the truth. But I know like sometimes my psychiatrist will be like any thoughts of harming yourself. And, and I feel to be honest, like a pressure to be like, no, mm-hmm. <laughs> because I don't want anything you know, like I, I don't want anything to, to happen. And I don't want, you know, like from your end as someone like studying, you know, to be a therapist, like there's stuff that you have to report. So then it's like, to me, there's a limit on h- how honest I can be with a mental health professional. Uh, like a good therapist will not just take every blanket statement of I'm thinking of killing myself as the same. Right. It's about do you have a plan? Mm-hmm. Do you have the means? Mm-hmm. Uh, like, if, do you have access to firearms? They should be doing a risk assessment. So mm-hmm. like, if they assess that like your risk is incredibly high, yeah. then maybe maybe then they will do a 5150 and they will mm-hmm. want you to be 
in an inpatient facility for like three days. It sucks too because it's so expensive. It's yeah. It's it again. This is so much of this bullshit comes back to the fact that our healthcare in this country is horrible. It's like actually very important right after someone gets out of an inpatient facility because a lot of times that's when someone ends up harming themselves. So mm-hmm. like it clearly is a very traumatic experience. You got to be honest about that stuff if you feel like this is a therapist you can trust. Yeah. You know. And so like, if you are thinking like, oh, I wish I was dead, but like, you're not planning it out. Mm-hmm. You're not, you know, like you're not writing a letter, like, and you set up with them steps that you will take if you get to that point, you know, mm-hmm. then I think hopefully you should be able to feel comfortable telling them that stuff. But I absolutely understand the fear. It's hard because it's such a vulnerable, like I was start- starting to try to say, it's like very vulnerable because this is a person who has so much access to your brain and to like, you know, like what was that we were watching? We, we, you told me this podcast about the psychiatrist who like manipulates his Mm -hmm. client, the shrink next door, the shrink next door. And it's hard because you, this person has access to such a like vulnerable, intimate part of you that they can really do a lot of damage. And like, it is very, very vulnerable. Um, And so it might, you might be on high alert for like a while, you know, with like any therapist, even one Mm -hmm. that, that you are starting to trust because when the betrayal happens, if it, if there is a betrayal or something, something that happens, um, like a psychiatrist trying to convince you that you love your rapist, just one bananas example from Mm -hmm. your letter, like it's such a deeper betrayal because it's a, a, a professional that has such access to your emotions and and your mind. If you are not suffering from psychosis, the therapist should assume that you are the expert of your own life. Mm. So if you are telling them this thing happened to me, they should believe you. (laughs) You know, they they might explore why it happened, potentially like, you know how how your what the lasting effects are how your reaction to it where your reaction to it might be coming from but if you say to somebody i was raped they should believe you (laughs) right you know um and so again like that's why we need like there needs to just be like hey guys red flags for therapists right (laughs) you know like I, i want that to like be like there should be like a website that's just like Things that are should that should tell you that this is not a good prof- mental health professional. And I don't think you should be like I said with TikTok. You know, I, I don't think you should be shy about it or quite. If you have a family or friends where you can go, my mm-hmm. therapist said this, this. Does that sound weird? Like, and they're like, yeah, that is weird. Or even be like, hey, has your therapist ever said X, Y, and Z or whatever? Mm-hmm. Just like being open to because it, the the way that this stuff can happen easier is if you keep it to yourself or you feel shame around it, you know? Well, it's transparency. I mean, Mm -hmm. transparency is a lot of times what keeps bad things from continuing. Right. So I don't know. It's really tough. I wish I had better answers, but it's also something I think I really need to to learn more about and ask my professors more about and Mm -hmm. see if there are resources for if you think you have a a harmful therapist. Um, Right. But I I really appreciate this question. And and thank you so much, Theo. If you want to submit your international question, you can send it to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's justbetweenuspod at gmail.com.
Stick around after the break. We'll be having a juicy interview with our highly esteemed guest, Alice Wong. Just between us. Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, controversial segment known to all of podcasting, Tough Questions. This week on the show, we have Alice Wong, a disabled activist, media maker, and consultant. She is the founder and director of the Disability Visibility Project, a community partnership with StoryCorps and an online community dedicated to creating, sharing, and amplifying disability media and culture, which was created in 2014, among a bunch of other things. But <laughs> I, I don't want to give your whole uh, biography. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you, Gabby. Thank you, Alistair. We're so excited to talk to you. I think that I, I saw that like this year, more people Googled what ableism is than ever before, right? And can you kind of talk about that? Like what is ableism and why is it so important that people are aware of it? Yeah, thank you so much. And I think I was pretty surprised to see that as part of uh, Google's 2020 trends, which is really surprising and I have no idea like what kind of you know Hocus Pocus algorithm created that but uh, I'll take it and how they match that happen to match that with my image but I, you know here we are uh, maybe that's a good thing right I think I tweeted earlier today like is this good is this weird is it overdue I guess it's a combination of everything mm -hmm. um, you know, I do think that in terms of all of the different forms of oppression, that I think ableism is one that's still really misunderstood or just mm -hmm. not even dumb. Yeah. And when I talk about ableism, I'm also really talking about other forms as well, such as statism, which is really the kind of prejudice toward to people with mental health disabilities and also autism. So this is another one that uh, hearing people have because a lot of deaf people and hard of hearing people, you know, they define their oppression that's really centered on the hearing world. Mm -hmm. So, you know, ableism, I see as this very broader umbrella that includes all kinds of disabilities. But above the people that I follow, including people with mental illness and people with deaf and hard of hearing, sadism and autism are also variants of this oppression. So those are things that I think are kind of exciting for people to kind of figure out like these are new concepts or words. And that hopefully people want to like start kind of unpacking their own kind of implicit bias. And we mm -hmm. all have homework to do, right? Like this is yeah. not, you know, I've got stuff to work on. I think, uh, you know, for sure, a lot of non-disabled people have a lot of things to work on. So I think it's hopefully a good thing that people are curious. So uh, you asked me about what I think this uh, Elizabeth and actually I'd like to share if it's okay a definition by somebody who uh, I really admire and uh, the person's name is Talila A. Lewis Talila is an amazing 
community organizer, activist, and a lawyer. And Talila's website is Talila A. Lewis, L-E-W-I-S dot com. And Talila has a working definition, and I'd love to hear both of you kind of your own thoughts about it. So mm-hmm. it's really kind of something that I personally uh, benefited from in terms of just learning from this. So Talila writes, ableism is a system that places value on people's bodies and minds based on societally constructed ideas of normalcy, intelligence, excellence and productivity. These constructed ideas are deeply rooted in anti-blackness, eugenics, colonialism, and capitalism. This form of systemic oppression leads to people and society determining who is valuable and worthy based on a person's appearance and or their ability to satisfactorily produce, excel, and behave. You do not have to be disabled to experience ableism. Mm. Yeah. I really love that that incorporates capitalism into its definition because that was something that I personally really had to learn. Like the idea that you are more than what you're able to produce or that you are more than the money that you are able to make. Um, I think like, you know, there's a lot of emphasis on for for some people and especially I think for, for white people with like what are you achieving? You're going to college. A certain class of person is like, what are you doing after college? Mm -hmm. Like these expectations that um, I had to unlearn that you can just like live your life, you know, like you don't have to be like contributing because there's so much like even the phrasing of like functional member of society. um, What does that mean? And so that's like something that that has that really struck a chord with me and I was hoping the definition would include it and it and it did. Yeah, and also I think it's uh you know really speaks to this whole rhetoric in our society about like being a taxpayer as if mm-hmm. that that equates like you have a right to protest or a right to like demand things. The sense of entitlement mm-hmm. by being a so called like productive member of society and that really means that somehow if you're not productive you don't count you don't matter mm-hmm. and you're really considered disposable because right you know for me i think this pandemic if there's anything to come out of this is that it's revealed how certain people a lot of people actually are considered disposable and mm-hmm. that's really a lot of older people, a lot of disabled people, poor people, undocumented mm-hmm. people, mm-hmm. black and brown people, and native people. Mm-hmm. And this is all pretty much built and centered around white supremacy, hypercapitalism, and ableism. And the fact that I think people still don't think about ableism as something that's so embedded mm-hmm. in all of our systems systems it's not just systemic discrimination 
but very much this pervasive cultural value. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we think a lot about how, you know, you think about body positivity and all that. Like, there's a lot of stuff about fear of becoming sick or disabled. Mm-hmm. You know, this, oh my gosh, like, you know, as long as my baby is healthy, that's all that matters. Right. What does mm-hmm. it mean? Like, what do you say if your baby or your child is, maybe has a diagnosis or lives differently? Like, what does that mean? And I think there's a lot of stuff that we just resume every day that's like adorable, quote unquote adorable. Mm-hmm. That's really fucked up. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. You know, because I do think that these thoughts and feelings are formed in, in childhood, right? And so if as a parent, like how what is the best way to talk to your kids about disabled people? That would have helped somebody of us, I think, right? Like that mm-hmm. we didn't have to wait until our young adulthood to try to figure out like our identity or just accept who we are. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of that has been done out of trauma, right? Like this whole like, sense of feeling isolated or feeling shameful. You know, I know that a lot of my friends with mental health disabilities are just like, they're so over this kind of discussion of stigma and like awareness. It's like, you know, let's move on. Let's advance you know, these ideas a little more because, you know, awareness is really for those who are like, they're not disabled, right? Like, oh, yeah. I'm aware now. Versus, like, really, like, are you really aware? Like, <laughs> you know, what are you going to do about it, right? Like, yeah. how are you going to be in solidarity with people? You know, so I do think that parents and, you know, other adults, when they see, like, kids, like, you know, asking questions, is to really be honest? Like, like oh, like, you know, sometimes little kids will point at me and, like, you know, they'll ask their parents, like, why is she in a chair? And I love it when parents say, like, oh, she's in a chair because, you know, she doesn't walk. And it's like, oh, okay. Like, like mm-hmm. the kid just accepts it. Like, it's not mm-hmm. hard. And other times I see parents, like, grab their kids, pull them away, mm-hmm. and be incredibly, like, embarrassed or scared. Really, like, mm-hmm. they're scared. Like, you know, there are times when I go down the streets and, you know, we're just occupying the same sidewalk. And parents would get legit scared that somehow I'm going to run over their kid. So, like, they will, like, pull their kid, kid pull their kid to the side as if, like, I'm going to attack them. I don't know. It's just, like, this very weird, reflexive kind of fear people have. And I think this is why, you know, honestly, visibility is really important. You know, it just, I don't like the word normalize, but I think, mm-hmm. you know, because what is normal really? But, right. um, yeah. but the more often we have all kinds of people really being honest about who they are and training who they are. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, if we are open enough to accept all that we are and not gloss over it, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's better for everybody. You know, I think, uh, you know, I'm curious about both of you in terms of like, you know, how did you get to that place where you feel 
just kind of like accepting of who you are. Because I think it's really tough that the the process is different for every person. Mm-hmm. Well, I think there's a big difference, obviously, between visible disability and invisible disability. Mm-hmm. Um, and each has its own, for lack of a better term, pros and cons. Yeah. Uh, I think... Um, it's hard. I, I, you know, I'm a very big film buff and it's hard looking back on the genres I enjoy, which one of which is horror uh, and how much of horror is seated in um, like body horror or like uh, the presence of someone who looks a little strange or someone with a, a facial scar or someone with, um, you know, that it's used as kind of a shorthand for horror. It's tough because then you imagine whoever has watched that media will then, you know, or the kid or whatever who's seen it or adult, that translates into real life, right? They think that Mm -hmm. someone who looks a little strange, quote unquote, must be evil, horrible, scary. Um, And then that happens with invisible disabilities too, where like, similarly, you know, the movie Split, I don't think, I I have a a friend who is, um, who has schizophrenia and the movie Split, like really did a number on that community. Um, And so I think like it's used uh, for shock value a lot. And that's been something that I've had to reconsider in terms of my enjoyment of the genre. Yeah, I mean, so many villains are Mm -hmm. portrayed as quote-unquote insane. Mm-hmm. Right or schizophrenia or bipolar, yeah, mm-hmm. or the, even the word psychotic, right? Like yep. psycho. You know, yeah. these are words that are basically slurs for people who are just, you know, who are just built differently, right? Just wired differently, and I think there's so much, you know, sadism that is just so commonplace. Like it's, you know, people still use the word crazy to like describe mm-hmm. almost everything, especially like politics. And, uh, you know, there's a, I really enjoy and I'm so glad to see a lot more people push back on this kind of language. Mm-hmm. You know, there's more like uh, in terms of journalism, uh, better style guides, updated style guides mm-hmm. that are talking about like, don't use these terms, you know, just, mm-hmm. you know, try other things. I have a group of friends where we were talking about, you know, what are alternatives? Mm-hmm. And the word we like to use, or at least I like to use, is bananas. So I, like, love bananas. I love bananas. <gasps> <gasps> That's one of my favorites, too. Because it's such a great term. And like, the shit is bananas. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, there's so many other, like, creative ways that don't harm people. Mm-hmm. And, like, I think, I don't know about you two, in terms of just, like, you know, politics and just, especially so-called progressives, they are hella ableist. Like, mm-hmm. the way, like, I mean, clearly, like, I think the person occupying the White House is a despicable, racist, mm-hmm. you know, fascist. But you know what? I don't have to, like, you know, question their mental health. I don't have to make fun of their weights. You know, a lot of people just yeah. either not just in comedy, but just in activism love to punch down. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think it's much more creative and you know, brilliant and funny 
give you five clever ways to punch up. There might not even be a realization that they are punching down. There was one that uh, it, it, when it came to Trump that I didn't even take in until my partner mentioned it, which is the idea that Trump has small hands mm-hmm. and that that, oh, Trump has small hands, Trump has small hands. And um, my partner is a, a trans masculine person who was like, well, mm-hmm. a lot of trans men have small hands, but they're mm-hmm. still men they're still manly they're still you know like so it's kind of like i think it's listening to those specific communities um because there's so much stuff that goes over my head particularly you know yeah there was a a really horrible uh, hashtag around uh the president at diapers so like Mm. that's what that's been very horrible for people with all kinds of disabilities or chronic illnesses, mm-hmm. you know, just I've used uh, adult garments myself, and it's just like, wow, like way to go! Like this is something that people use for all kinds of reasons, and you're making this sound like it's you know something that is so like not just infantilizing, but just something that's like considered so beyond like like imaginable you know right. and it's, this is a very durable part of everybody's life yeah so I, really des- I really despise that I think so much of it comes from the fact that we just haven't been having these conversations before mm-hmm. so like you know with like parents going back to that and like with like not knowing how to respond when their kid asks, like, why is that person in a chair? Why does that person need help breathing? Why, you know, like, mm-hmm. I, I feel like we need to have like a national conversation about aware, like, like you said, awareness, but also just like, what are, what's the next what, steps? Yeah. What's the next steps? Like, how do we, how are we allies? How do we stand up for each other? How do we, view ourselves as a as a community of of mankind of like humankind you know and and like what I know you did some policy work with under Obama and and so like what are some right you were part of a council and and like so what what are like some tangible steps you think that could be taken to help thanks so much I think uh one of the things is funny I appreciate about you Allison is your Instagram emotional support lady like this is for me, one example of like, why don't we follow Instagram accounts and follow other disabled people who are creating great work? You know, this is actually one of the very first steps is think about your bookshelf. Think about, mm-hmm. you know, the, your, the podcast you listen to. Just think about the pop culture that you enjoy and consume. And think about Who's missing? And why mm-hmm. are they missing? Yeah. You know, there's so much work that's done by disabled people who have chronic illnesses or neurodivergence, deaf and hard of hearing, um, you know, people with invisible disabilities. That's so important and really groundbreaking. So I think, you know, the first step is to really think about to do the homework and to do the searches you know listen and actually believe what people say something's problematic mm-hmm. you know and also say like 
I think one thing that is really frustrating that a lot of marginalized folks deal with is the fact that, you know, we get accused of like, oh, you know, exaggerating. Or that, oh, like, mm-hmm. you're so sensitive. Like, mm-hmm. don't worry. I mean, how many people have said, like, you know, at the beginning of this pandemic, this virus is only going to hurt. I wanted to bring it back to that because that what you were talking about with that, it's like the the pervasiveness of violence against those who can't contribute. So like, yeah, we wanted to ask you about that. The whole thing of like this virus only kills only. Yeah, it's okay. Like grandma lived her life. So it's okay. You know, like, fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it just really enrages me, that fact that uh, only high-risk people, such as older disabled people, are, like, the ones that are to be hardest hit. They're like, Mm -hmm. that's, you know, that's a cost that supposedly people are willing to to make. They're like... And I yeah. Them, like what? And you know, here we are, uh, almost eleven months into the pandemic, and it's raging. It's completely like not getting better. Uh, all of these deaths, the majority of them did not have to happen. You know, right. this is what's this is what I think of as a genocide, mm. even though people don't use that word. I think of it as eugenics because mm-hmm. we're basically saying people trapped in prisons, in hospitals, in nursing homes, mm-hmm. congregate cities such as psychiatric hospitals, you know, screw them, right? Like this is their mm-hmm. like this is their lot in life. Oops, you know, it can't be nothing can be done. Right. A lot of things could have been done early on but you know what it's like we live in this culture where it's so much about the individual mm-hmm. it's so much about quote unquote freedom it's really much of a selfish culture because you know if, if people can't you know quote unquote take care of themselves mm-hmm. somehow they get what they deserve right. that to me is what is so you know bullshit about American culture. Right. Yeah, we don't really care for each other collectively. Right. And I think that's what's really sad because, you know, nobody is angry about why well, I like to see more collective outrage than the fact that 40% of deaths from the pandemic have taken place in long term care facilities. But right. the fact that, you know, a lot of these facilities, are closed off and shut down and not public we don't see the suffering we don't see Mm -hmm. the stories of people who are trying to stay alive right because their record is visible we just don't care you know we just don't and we also deliberately don't want to care right like we don't want to face our complicity in this right I mean, when talking about eugenics, it's it's like an interesting thing because we like even with ch- you're t- touched on this a little but with like your baby being healthy, like disabled children and stuff. I think like there's this idea of like 
these people are expendable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and like, why are they expendable? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I see a lot of stories and I, I mean, this whole episode is probably a trigger warning for a lot of people, but I see a lot of stories about like, um, um, like a parent harming their autistic child. Yeah. Are you too familiar with the National Day of Bo- Disability Day of Boarding? No. So, so I think you two would be really, uh, would be really interested in this. Uh, every year, there's a day toward uh, disabled disability rights activists, and you know, all kinds of folks really uh, take time to remember disabled children and adults who have been murdered by family members. Mm. So this happens, unfortunately, a lot more than we think. And uh, this happens, it's been a yearly event. I would recommend folks going to uh, check out the Autistic Self-Advocacy Network. Mm. They are one of the leaders in organizing what's called the National Disability Data Boarding. It is a place where there's chapters everywhere where people gather and read the dates. Uh, people have been murdered by a parent, a family member, you know, in the past year. And there's actually a lot of names. And the fact that overwhelmingly the sympathy is with the murderer. You right. know, the, the victims, you never did a lot of media cases. I mean, if you read an article, you almost never even get to know the name of the person, you know, mm. or even anything about their life. Right. It's all about, oh my gosh, this parent was so overburdened. Like, they were just, you know, they were just stressed. Or like, yeah, they had they no choice but to murder. Oh, they, okay. Yeah, or that, uh, they didn't have enough resources. But often, it's not the case at all that these real folks have plenty of resources. But, you know, I think what you asked earlier, what is it about why we're considered respectable? And frankly, it's because we're not seen as human. Mm-hmm. Right. We still aren't. I mean, this is a very kind of real talk moment where you know we don't see we're not seen as having the same quality of life so like you know I'll just keep it real about myself like you know I'm a full-time ventilator user I am in a wheelchair I require like total help so like somebody gets me out of bed every day I need help wiping my ass Right. Yeah, I I actually need help uh, eating. I I get fed, and all of these things are for a lot of people unfathomable. Like Mm -hmm. this is like this is a life without dignity, right? Like this is this is actually a life that's worse than death. I mean, there are legit attitudes. Like, oh my god, I just can't. I just can't imagine like living like this. You know, it's just is a uh, really. I think one thing about disability, any kind of disability, is that the reason why people are so viscerally 
to repulse or steer by it. Is that it reminds people of how we're all vulnerable, right? Mm-hmm. That our, you know, we're all kind of mortal. Right. And we're signifiers that, you know, life isn't perfect or that life is different, that there's different ways of experiencing and navigating the world that may be different from you. And I think this fear of the other is very much at the root of all of these efforts to fix us mm-hmm. and to erase us, basically. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is like why there's such an emphasis on abusive and harmful interventions, right? And I, I think also there's this this belief of like almost like a meritocracy, but like for your body, where there's mm-hmm. like this thing of like, well, you, you're not taking care of yourself. And like for a lot of people with chronic illness, it's like, well, why haven't you tried this? Why haven't you done that? Or, you know, and it's like victim blaming. Right. Yeah. And that you're supposed to, in our society, you're expected to always try to get better. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's like a rejection of the idea. Maybe there isn't a possibility. I think that's okay. Right. Yeah. I really think of disabled people as real radicals in the sense that we're just living our lives and it's often in defiance mm-hmm. of all of these norms. And I think that's what's like, that's what I love about us. You know, way before, quote unquote, the resistance, you know, disabled people have always been radicals in terms of just reimagining our community, mm-hmm. reimagining our lives, and just, you know, surviving and thriving. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think there's so much to be said for how we celebrate who we are. That's really a resistance to all of that, you know, everything around us. And that's why I think uh, in many ways, you know, that's what drives my work is to share as many stories about us and by us because, you know, our stories, our truths still aren't really told. Mm-hmm. You know, representation, if we think about it very broadly, let's say popular culture mm-hmm. or Hollywood is still massively behind but there's so much you know things that are out there that you know exist that really deserve more attention which is why you know I just love my anthology so much it's the fact that there's 37 different stories by a whole range of brilliant creative you know innovative Mm-hmm. They're beautiful people who are just say, this is who I am, you know, this is how my life is. Mm-hmm. Without apology, without explanation, without trying to get empathy. Because you know mm-hmm. what? That's really about centering non-disabled people. Mm-hmm. You know, trying mm-hmm. to like force ourselves into a narrative that makes them feel good. Right. And I am all against that, you know. And that's what I love about podcasts, too, because this is another brilliant medium that allows a lot of people 
to, to tell the stories they want to have, to be to, to tell the stories they want to tell, mm-hmm. and to be in conversation with one another. Mm-hmm. Well, I just want to thank you because you, when we asked you to be on the show, you said you you only do shows that have transcripts, and that was something we were not doing, and that was a mistake on our part, you know? And so that really made us realize, oh, of course we should have transcripts. And so now that's something that, you know, we're going to be doing moving forward. And like, thank you so much for, for saying that. Well, I love it. Thank you. I think this is, this is what it means, right? Like uh, solidarity and allyship is the fact that we're open to this and we're going to like adapt. We're going to learn. We're going to change. We're going to get better. And, you know, I hope for all of your listeners, you know, I hope they also, you know, for all of the, their favorite favorite podcasts, mm-hmm. I hope they reach out to those podcasters and say, hey, uh, why don't you have transcripts, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the fact that transcripts actually improve the SEO of a <laughs> podcast, and it's also, it opens up your audience. It, it actually helps people reference your work because, you know, transcripts are great. And I think it just, it just adds to the podcast. And I think, you know, these are examples of, you know, being allies and just wanting access for everyone. Mm-hmm. And everyone is better because of access. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about like the striving to be productive sort of element of it. Um and then you're a very productive person. <laughs> do you did you feel like pressured to be like a like a good representation or like pressure to do a lot of work or was it more of like no I I have to do this activism or mm-hmm. like do you know it's it's such a funny weird like backwards thing that I or like I don't know it's hard to untangle. Yeah, I think there's a lot of. Uh push pull right like there's a lot mm-hmm. of tensions going on uh, you know I really wish that you know I had choices in terms of not being an activist because I feel like you know as a child was born disabled like I knew I was in a not disabled world and that's you know I really had to first advocate for myself and then later on like you don't realize, oh my gosh, like there's just so much that we need to do, you know, systemically. That's not just about my own well-being and getting what I need, but it's about this whole community that's been fighting these good fights. Uh, you know, my idea of justice and deliberation one day is the fact that people don't have to fight so hard right like this is that is the dream that like future kids with any sort of mental illness any sort of disability chronic illness don't ever have to fight for what they need mm-hmm. and they just be who they want to be right and you know right now I think you know I personally don't want to be held up as some sort of role model right. for example because I think that's also very dangerous right like you know mm. because I am in no way perfect and I really don't like the 
instead of uh, expectations. Like if you're an activist, you have to be like perfect, or you have to mm-hmm. be like use all the right words, you know, do all the right things. But I don't believe in that. Like I believe that there's there has to be space for messiness, for mm-hmm. mistakes, for accountability. And I think for me, uh, you know, I try to really resist the depression to be odd all the time. Mm-hmm. The depression to be productive, as you said. But I will say that, you know, for me personally this year, you know, I felt such urgency because there's nothing like a deathly pandemic to really light a fire under your yeah. head. You know, like, I was really just, oh, I mean, I still am legit, like, scared. Like, this is just, yeah. this is just something that just, uh, you know, like, I know that even though this vaccine is, you know, coming and just going to be distributed eventually, you know, I still know that if I get this virus, that it pretty much will be deadly for me. Mm-hmm. So it's really kind of great in terms of clarifying what's important. So, like, mm-hmm. I have been pretty focused and very much about, like, doing what I want to do. So, I think, while I do believe in self-care and slowing down, I do think it's also been great to just kind of give me license to let go of all the other things that I don't want to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just say, like, what do I want to say? What do I want to do in the time that I have? And I think that's, that's something that could be really useful for all of us as we eventually come out of this pandemic. You know, really clarify, like, what do I give a shit about? Mm-hmm. Who do I really love? Who do I care about? You know, the, the friendships have been, my friendships have really kept me alive, I think. And I think that's what's really wonderful, too, is that this pandemic is also should be who's really there for you. You know, mm-hmm. that's been one of the really beautiful things to come out that you know who your people are. Mm-hmm. And that's really lovely. And I hope it's something that we all really take to heart. I'm going to have to move on to hypotheticals because I'm about to start crying. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was really beautifully put. That was so beautiful. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So would you like to play a game show? (laughs) Why not? Let's do it. Okay. Hypotheticals. uh, You and Gabby are my contestants. I'm going to give you a series of hypothetical situations. Um, You can ask as many clarifying questions as you want. And then you tell me what you think of that situation or what you would do. Oh, God. Okay. (laughs) So our first game is, are you a terrible parent? Okay. Your child, 12, has decided that they only ever want to hang out with you and that they don't like anyone their own age. Uh In order to make sure they expand their social circle beyond you, you start to only talk to them in a very annoying British accent that is hard on the ears. 
Oh, After no. a week straight of this, they agree to go to a movie with some other kids. Are you a terrible parent, Alice? Oh my goodness! Okay, I would say no, I'm not because sometimes you have to do things that are really obnoxious. I love any parent that's like super silly. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, you know. Uh, Characterized using a fake British accent as to be very silly. And, yeah. You know, it's also uh, really important for kids to get up, like, you know, not depend too much on their parents. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't think sometimes being gently, you know, pushy or just, you know, gently guiding them toward, like, having to make those decisions on their own, like, I, I cannot stand my parents. I'm here to go to a movie. <laughs> you know, I, I, think that's, I think that's that is that is okay because it's not being coercive, but it's subtly driving them to make that decision. Because it sounds based on your hypothetical, they made that decision. You just have to create the conditions mm-hmm. in which things have been untenable. It, that's a temporary thing. It's not like this parent's going to be like that for years. Right. <laughs> no, this is just a week. So I think it's okay. I think you're saying it's an incredible parent move and people should maybe copy it. What <laughs> kind, what, what, what part of England is the accent? The middle part. Okay. Then I agree with, I agree with Alice. I think you're, <laughs> I think you're a good parent because you you made yourself do something very inconvenient in order to teach your child about friendship. Actually, you love you love doing the accent and, and you continue to do it even after they have a full group of friends. Oh, do I love it? Do I love doing the accent? That's a nice accent, though. This is and like... So, and I was quite posh. Yeah, this might get the It's a drama club. That's true. You're a drama nerd. And it can be even better. And it can be a cool drama kid. So you're welcome. Wow. You're parent of the year with this one. <laughs> <laughs> but that kid grows up and wins a toady. <laughs> it all started when I was 12. <laughs> <laughs> and my parents just did this horrible accent. <laughs> and that's what I do, you know. I had to get away from them and join the theater. You got a school drama. The next game is Are You an Asshole? Okay. You overhear your neighbors having a very sexist but private conversation. You record it and post it online, and people figure out who was talking, and both people end up losing their jobs. Are you an asshole? Yes. Okay. <laughs> what were what were their jobs? Um, in finance. Ooh, tough. Now I knew, I knew saying that would change your mind. <laughs> Let me get on a soapbox. This is mm-hmm. the problem today: is that we don't have conversations with each other. And I think you should go over there and you should say to them, like, "Hey, I heard your conversation and I don't like it." And and don't maybe don't go over there maybe have a fence your neighbors maybe keep the fence between you but Mm. i still think maybe you could maybe you could talk to them instead of taking it to the internet that's fair 
My question is, if they are in finance, and let's say they're talking about some really misogynistic, transphobic shit mm-hmm. that's endemic within their company, Ooh. and let's say this is a dirty secret. Ooh. Okay, now so, you're a whistleblower. <laughs> exactly. Now, let's say I recorded it. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to be such a thoughtless person. I'm going to be sneaky. I'm going to either transcribe it or change the audio so oh. that you can't tell who said what. Uh-huh. So, cover your fingerprints. Yes. I'm going to the footprints. And still release it, but in a way that can't be traced back to those original speakers. So but you can say happening. what company they work for, yes. maybe. Yes. Really about blasting a company, blasting the workplace culture, opening it up to another Me Too movement within that industry, all this this anonymous text slash audio. <laughs> I love that. Alice is too clever for this game. I want out. <laughs> Alice is too clever and has come up with workarounds and, and narratives for each one. And I I want out. Yeah, you're losing, Gabby, in case that yeah, wasn't clear. I concede. Well, I, I watch uh, way too many episodes of Law and Order. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I have to tell you, my sisters and I, we all believe that we would be so excellent at getting away with murder. Like, we would just, like, we yeah. just seriously would. Like, just, so, well, the solve you know, rate is very low. Yeah. So, yeah. Like, there's a lot of room to be, to be creative. And I think, uh, you know, I think a lot of order is just, Wait, I'm sorry. There's a lot of room to be creative. Alice Wong on murder. (laughs) You're winning by at least 200 points. Oh my God. Our final game. Would you lie or tell the truth? You accompany your best friend to a psychic and they tell your friend that they are about to have the best year of their life and finally find love. Your friend is so excited that they decide to start online dating again and putting themselves out there. You leave your bag by accident, and when you go back, you overhear the psychic on the phone saying, just fooled another one for a hundred bucks. When you come out looking upset, your friend asks, what happened? Would you lie or tell the truth? Okay, can I, I, do I get extra points for saying that I know Alice is going to say she would lie? (laughs) Would you sneaky, lie? sneaky and clever? That's all I've learned through this whole thing. Gabby, how did you know? <laughs> because every situation has been thought out, clever. So I gotta yeah. think there's some elaborate lie you're cooking up right now. You know, I seriously, you know, my other professor get a bit head of a cartel. I mean, I'm serious. <laughs> like I am, like I would have been better than Walter White, to be honest. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, I really, if I didn't put my energies into activism, right. I would have been a criminal bastard. Right, so, right, 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 right. So, like, you know, welcome society. You know, oh, my God. So, so, I, I so you would lie? 
Well, I want to hear your take first, and then I'll give you Okay. Both. I would lie, because let me tell you, none of this is real. I, I'm, I love tarot. I love psychics. I love ghosts. I love the whole thing. Astrology, all of it. But I think like a lot of it has to do with what you're willing to give power to and what you're willing to work on and what you're willing to do. So if the psychic said this to her and then she was like gonna change nothing, she's gonna change nothing about her life, then it wouldn't come true, obviously. So the point of it is to motivate you one way or another. So if this is gonna motivate her in a really good direction, then like, who am I, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have to such a that because, you know, we have not enough joy and hope in our lives. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, thinking about as we are entering the new year, 2021, you know, everybody wants to start off on a hopeful note. So, like, especially if this is like your bestie, and, you know, she's been, they, she, they, trip. And then wanting to find somebody, let them try. Just, you know, support mm-hmm. their efforts at opening up and just, you know, putting themselves out there. Just that's already a lot. And I think your role as a friend is to be there whether it works out or not. Mm-hmm. And to just applaud that effort because, you know, frankly, it's not easy. Wow. So to be a good friend, sometimes you have to lie. That's true. Oh, it I is think- true. Yeah. <laughs> I, I agree. agree. I agree. These aren't lies with a capital L. Like, these are just yeah. little, little things. But then, ooh, go to that psychic's Yelp page and write an anonymous oh, review yeah. saying that she's not a real psychic. Yeah, like she's trash. But you can't have it be traceable back to you, which is what correct. We've yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Alice will absolutely know how to do that. So. Yeah, set up dummy accounts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, on the dark web. You know, whatever. Just oh my god. I'm just throwing that out there. Oh my god. I think this was my favorite game of hypotheticals ever. Wow, wow, wow. Because <laughs> I put a lot of care into these questions tonight, and I, I'm really pleased with the results. This is what you have when you have a devious guest. <laughs> right, <Yes>. exactly. <laughs> you know, very depraved, very devious. <laughs> you know, I bet he thinks, and uh, yes, so that's, you know, it just brings a lot of spice. <laughs> it did. Oh, my God. Thank you so wow. much for joining us. Where can people find more about you and your work and your book? Oh, thanks. Uh, folks can find out more about my book or my website, which is disabilityvisibilityproject.com. I'm on uh, Twitter at sfdirewolf, S-F-D-I-R-E-W-O-L-F. And I'm on Instagram. Uh, disability underscore visibility. Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for Topics. X, 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 baby. Baby. <laughs> so uh, I knew that the other segments of this show were going to be kind of heavy. So mm-hmm. I wanted this week's topic to be sort of feel good. Um, so I Googled 
interesting party conversation topic. Right. So this is what I was going to bring up. So Allison told me that you you that she Googled interesting party topics, party conversation topics, and then chose one for this week. Uh, so that's almost as interesting to me as the topic. Um, what else was on that list? So I ended up going to this article that was like, uh, like great dinner party conversations. Uh-huh. And it was literally only a list of like 15 things. So it's not like, okay, okay we, we went like 50 deep. But like okay. of one of those 15 things, it said, ask someone, have you ever done extreme couponing? If so, what was your best deal? Oh, my God. Okay, but here's the thing is that I told you my mom would absolutely love to answer that question. Um, Also, you said one of them was like, when was the happiest you've been in your life? Yeah, and why? And so it's like, oh, I was happy like before my fiance left me. Yeah, exactly. When I had a job I did like. Like, like, what a downer of a question because it's like, you're definitely not happy now. So have you ever experienced happiness? Oh my god. Um, I guess what was the happiest I've been in my life? Wow. And then you go down. It's uh, for me. I would go down a spiral of like, have I ever been happy? Right. What does happiness mean? Oh god. Um, but that's wow. why instead I just went with compliments. Jesus Christ. Okay. Well, here's one that I I think. Can I can I make a guess as to one that is a pet peeve for you? Sure. You've lost weight. Oh, okay, so that's definitely under the harmful comp. Uh, yeah, one. I, I was like, here's one that I know Allison's going to despise and have reasons for despising. Well, I just don't think that we should ever comment on someone's weight because yes. you never know what's going on. You never know if if the weight loss is a health related issue. Right. It also places so much value on being thin. Um, right. So I I saw one of my friends recently for an outside, you know, socially distanced walk. And like, yeah. you know, I, it looked like she had lost weight, but I was like, I can't, I'm not going to say that. I like, um, whereas like 10 years ago, I absolutely would have, I just like, didn't acknowledge it at all. Yeah. Um, because yeah. we, we just shouldn't be commenting on people's bodies like that. The other thing that really makes me think about it is my nieces. Right. And like, what am I telling them? What am I showing them that I value? Mm-hmm. So like they have like the cutest clothes all of the time. And so I'm always like, oh, like that's such a cute shirt. That's such a cute whatever. But then I also want to be like, oh, I heard that you were such a good big sister when you mm-hmm. went and got the COVID test. And like you're so good at sharing and, you know, because it really mm-hmm. does like teach them like what is valued based on what you compliment them about. Especially for little kids, I think. Mm-hmm. It's so hard because of obviously the first thing you want to say about a kid is how cute they are. Right. But in terms of compliments, my sister and I have talked about this a lot because Cheyenne was a very cute kid. Um, and so people would always be like, oh my God, you're so cute. Look at how cute she is. Uh, and I was, you know, I had to grow into my features. <laughs> and uh, and. So, but I always got really good grades. So people would be like, oh my God, I heard you got all A's. Like, you're so smart. But Cheyenne heard it as like, oh, nobody ever said I was smart. Mm -hmm. And I heard people compliment her for being so cute. And I was like, nobody ever calls me cute. 
And so we both had these huge complexes Mm -hmm. where she was like, I'm just cute and pretty and I'm not smart because nobody ever said I was smart. And I was like, well, the only thing that I have of value is my brains. So I'm going to become I'm going to have a lot of internalized misogyny about uh, conventionally attractive women. And I'm going to do this thing where I like downplay how I look for years and feel bad about myself. Like just this whole like thing that we don't realize how much, especially on younger people, I would say like kids into eighth grade, you know, up until high school, like it, it, the, it affects you so much in the back of your mind. But I also, I also love compliments. Like- yeah. If they, okay. I like specifics. I like, um, you are a kind person because of this. You are, uh, it was really, um, selfless when you did this. Uh, you're so talented. I love my big one for friends is that I love when to be like, you're really good at this. Like you're really talented. Mm-hmm. Um, anything, you know, like mouse started cooking a lot and I'm like, you're so talented at this. Totally. Or like, well, um, my philosophy, like outside of the things that, you know, we shouldn't talk about, which is like this, like other people's bodies, like, if you see something, say something, you know, mm-hmm. like if you think a nice thought about somebody, why not share it? Yeah. Cause it's like really fun. And also there's a, there's a journey in learning how to accept the compliment Oof. and not feeling like you have to be like, no, or like feeling like you have to dis- diminish it or pretend that it didn't happen. Like so it hard is okay for me. to literally just be like, thank you so much. That made so my day. Hard. <laughs> It's so hard because it, people will be like, whenever I like go do a podcast or something, they'll be like, oh, one question I get a lot. It's like, oh my God, you've done so much. Like, clearly you're so busy. Like, how do you, you know, how do you do all this? And in my mind, I'm like, I'm a loser. I've never done anything. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't, it is so hard to get for me to get a handle on what I, what is actually true about myself. And I don't yeah. know why, perhaps trauma, perhaps mental illness, but like, I truly, like, I have obviously like sky high self-esteem in some places where maybe it's not earned, but whatever. And then, and then in other places, I'm like, like, and this might be, again, sorry to pull the wool, pull the, pull the curtain back. And this might be a Jewish thing. But if someone's like, oh my God, I love your shirt. I have to be like, thanks. It was a dollar. Like, why do I have to say that? (laughs) Why? Or like, even sometimes that's bragging because it's like, I got a great deal. I want to show off that I had a great deal. But sometimes it's like, you know, you don't want to feel like, you're rubbing it in their face or something. But I, I just like my mission in life is to just like get people to feel like they can just accept the compliment and be like really jazzed about it. Cause like I'm how so... much does it, how much does it suck when you compliment someone and they like act weird about it? <laughs> I know I'm so weird about it. I, I have it, have had it pointed out by other people that I'm so weird. Like I'll just immediately start stuttering and I like can't, but then certain things like if people, like if someone's like, you're funny, I'm like, thank you. I know no, you'll be like, I know. <laughs> right. I know. Which is what I just said. But if someone's like, you worked really hard or like something that I beat myself up about, I'm like that. No. Yeah. Or like if someone's like, you're a good person. I'm like, hmm. <laughs> like I can't. I don't know. I, it's so. Well, it's that's the so... stuff that you. So that's you like having confirmation bias, right? Absolutely. It's you only wanting to take in things that you already believe about yourself. Mm-hmm. 
So if somebody says something that you don't believe to be true, even though they believe it to be true, you're like, that's not real. Yeah. Yeah. And I also, uh, I have, I have, and this is also, I think from my mom or from, which is like an example of how pervasive it is, but I do have the, like, you look good or like have, you know, uh, this this sort of uh, looks based compliments thing that like I think again sorry to pull the curtain back Jewish women love to do of like I think that's very normal I think that's kind of across society of like complimenting people's looks yeah and but when like, I say when I say like not talking about somebody's body I'm not saying that you can't say like oh you look great I love your outfit I love your yeah. hair I love your your necklace I mean just literally like their body shape we don't want it be talking yeah. about. You can say nice. I love your makeup. I love you yeah. know, but like, cho- like I think you can compliment choices. If that right, makes sense. that's what it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I so have to I do. Know. I have to be aware of it because I think Mal is so attractive that I'll like pile stuff on, and then I'm like, I gotta throw in a you're sweet or like you're a good person somewhere <laughs> in between all of those. Do you just say thank you? How do I accept a compliment? I go, Gabby, your hair looks great. Thank you. My instinct, I'm saying it, this is what you would want me to say. My instinct was to go, oh, thanks, Shy did it. I didn't really do anything. Like, do you know what I mean? Why? Okay, give me a compliment. You know, I think you say a lot of really insightful things during the international question segment. Thank you. (laughs) That was so nice. I wasn't (laughs) expecting, I thought you were going to be like, cool shirt. (laughs) No. My mom said that about you too. Really? Yeah. That's so nice. You know, that's sort of been like, because I've been getting like a lot of wonderful support from people online and just people I know in real life. And like, instead of I, I, my response now is like, that is so kind. Thank you. Like, that mm-hmm. is so nice. That is Thank so you. kind. Yeah. Because then you're kind of complimenting them back. So it doesn't feel like it's a really uneven transaction when you're Ooh. and I think maybe that's why it's hard to accept a compliment because it feels like, oh, do I owe this person something because of mm-hmm. what they just did? Do I have to think of a compliment for them? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and that, then you get like in your head about it. But if you could be like, that was like really meaningful that you said that or like that really meant that means a lot to me, then it yeah. sort of like even the playing field a little bit it might feel more comfortable yeah okay I like that that was so nice of you to say that was so kind of you to say yeah good and good just and letting them know that like that really that really means something to me thank you so much Listen, do you want to come on in so we can compliment you <laughs> jeez louise <laughs> <laughs> are you uncomfortable are you uncomfortable I just like hate slash love compliments if that makes any sense like sometimes I'm just like people compliment me and I'll be like yeah I know like I don't (laughs) and I'll say it because (laughs) I'm just like yeah it's obvious and then sometimes I'm just like I want compliments like if I go out somewhere and no one compliments my hair which is like the thing like physical thing that most people compliment me on anytime I go anywhere Uh then I'm disappointed but like sometimes people just like say the simplest compliments and I'm just like I know (laughs) like what like what like what like a day when I know that I'm looking exceptionally good and they might say that and I'm just like I know (laughs) wouldn't you be upset if nobody said it yeah that's the thing is that's why I love and hate them. That's that's the the complicated part of the of compliments. I know. 
Yeah. Well, I complimented you today in a text and then you didn't say anything back. Oh, I was directing an audiobook and I forgot to respond back. I'm sorry. Wow. But I did I did like it. Well, I just got, you know, deterred. I understand. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, I just like, you know, I sometimes with texts and compliments, I want it to be I'm like I always worry that I'm sounding insincere. No, I, when I I'm saw being it. Sincere. I saw it and I smiled, but I was in the middle of something and then I forgot to respond, which is something that I do a lot with text messages is that I forget to respond all the time. <laughs> Why would text compliments seem insincere? I think because I'm becoming more of like a mushy person that mm. I worry that people like when I just like worry people will think I'm fake. I don't know. Mm. Maybe it's because I just like I've said things in the past that people have been like Ugh, thinking I'm lying, but I'm being genuine. So it's like, <laughs> I don't know. But it's mm. it's been an interesting journey for me to now just like be like a full mush ball. And I really like it. I love that. We don't value sincerity enough in this in this country. What did I mean to say? We don't value <laughs> sincerity enough. We Back don't. to sincerity. Back to it. <laughs> yeah. Irony's over. Sincerity is back, baby. <laughs> 2021. Um, 2021. Okay, so what do we what do what was our favorite part of this episode? Uh I loved Alice. Uh yeah. she oh, made yeah. me laugh and cry and like mm-hmm. my voice sounds nasally right now because I was full-blown <laughs> crying during this um I was glad that I had turned my camera off so you guys couldn't see me um, I was trying so hard not to cry yeah oh it was just so beautiful but honest and mm-hmm. to the point but like mm-hmm. all these things people are afraid to say and I I don't know it just like uh, it just hit it hit me hard me too. Yeah. I think she's really um, real and mm-hmm. like just very, uh, a, a, a very like smart person who can speak about things in a way that is um, like colloquial t- and accessible yeah, and yeah. And, and, and touching and just like mm-hmm. um, in co- like full of context, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and so, yeah, that, I mean, that was like one of my favorite interviews we've ever done. What do we rate this episode? A million out of one. (laughs) (laughs) That's a very high rating. (laughs) Okay. Uh, yeah, I, you know what? I also rated a million out of one. Yeah. I'm going to give it a million out of one sneaky and clever efforts. Oh, yes. (laughs) Yes. Her turn as a criminal mastermind was something I did not see coming, but looking back makes so much sense. (laughs) Honestly, like that, like it once, you know, if she ever gets tired of activism, that's what she should be doing. That's what she said. And she should maybe do it to fund the activism. You know, I agree. (laughs) I agree. That's the James Bond villain we want to see in the world. Oh my gosh. (laughs) That would be amazing. (laughs) Oh my God. Wow. 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 I don't think we can top that. So no. let's just wrap no. this baby. Let's wrap this baby up. Oh my <laughs> Thank God. Thank you so much to Alice Wong for being our incredible guest. 
Just Between Us is a Forever Dog production hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabby Dunn. Produced by Melissa D. Montz. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. Brendan Burns composed our killer theme music. To listen to this podcast ad-free, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcast.com slash plus. Check out video clips of our podcast on YouTube at youtube.com slash team or youtube.com slash show. And make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forever Dog Team to keep up with all the latest Forever Dog news. And also Allison at Emotional Support Lady and me at Gabby Road on Instagram. Very good promoting. Thanks. Also at JBU Podcast on Instagram. Forever Dog.